0: Good morning, Mosaic Church. We are so glad you're here to worship with us today. If you're new to Mosaic, as a church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision, or you want to get connected to the life of our church through community groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve, you can text the word Mosaic to 97000 and we'll follow up with you this week. Coming up this Christmas week, we'll have two special services. On Friday at 6 p.m., we will have our Christmas Eve Eve service. And then on Christmas Day at 10 a.m., we will have a shortened family service as well. Be sure to check the Church Center app or social media for more details. And now, as we get ready to worship through singing, we just want to remind you that children are always welcome with us in service. We also have a kids ministry for kids birth through fifth grade where they will have a time of worship and gospel centered Bible teaching that is age appropriate, as well as a nursing mother's room just outside the lobby should little ones get hungry or restless. Again, we're so glad you're here today. Let's worship Jesus together.
1: All right. Well, hey, good morning again, guys. Thank you all for being here this morning to worship Jesus with us. My name is Tad. Anderson. I am the lead teaching pastor here at Mosaic Church. And so again, we, we welcome you. We're glad you're here with us. And I just have uh, a few announcements. The first one is just, man, Christmas is upon us, isn't it? Like, how does that happen so fast? Um, anyway, we have two, uh, two special services next week, as my uh, wonderful wife mentioned in the uh, welcome video, but kids were moving at that point, so maybe you didn't hear. Let me reiter- reiterate those. We have Christmas Eve Eve, which is going to be Friday. Uh, the 23rd at 6 p.m. And we will have lots of Christmas songs, a shortened Christmas message where we get straight to the gospel, uh, followed by a time of fellowship with cookies and cocoa. So uh, we'll supply the hot cocoa if you guys will bring the cookies and, uh, or really any kind of tasty Christmas dessert. I, I really don't discriminate on that, uh, except with fruitcake, and eggnog, okay, because that's weird, all right? Like, it's not fruit, it's not cake, and what is nog? Thank you. All right, the laughter, no one knows. All right. Uh, Also, we'll have Uh, Service on Christmas Sunday. For anyone who's in town and able to come and worship, we will have uh, an abbreviated family service on Christmas morning at 10 a.m. No cookies for that service that I know of, uh, but there will be an opportunity to worship Jesus with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on Christmas morning. Uh, It's a rare occurrence for Christmas to fall on a Sunday, and I know uh, that'll be tough for some of us to make, but uh, we still wanted to make sure that there was a service on the Lord's Day for anyone who des- desired to come and to worship together. So we will have that uh, available if you're here and you'd like to come and worship on Christmas morning. All right, that's all my announcements. Let's, uh, let's continue on in our Advent teaching series. So far, uh, we've talked about several familiar Christmas texts. Uh, First, from Isaiah 7, and the prophecy of Jesus coming uh, to be the consolation of Israel. Then the birth announcement to Jesus' earthly parents last week, and the importance of his virgin birth. And now this week, we're going to talk about uh, another one of my favorites, which is the wise men. I think there's a lot uh, that we can learn from them. So let's read the passage in Matthew chapter 2, where we learn about them, and then we will pray, and we'll talk about it. Matthew 2. Uh, We're picking it up all the way back in verse 1 there. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled Father, what a great joy it is to worship you as the body of Christ together in the Advent season. God, some count all days alike, but some esteem certain days as more special than others. And for us, Lord, we love Christmas. It is a wonderful time to reflect on the most incredible gift of grace that you have given us in your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the spiritual wonder that surrounds his incarnation. And thank you for the yearly reminder to not only look back and reflect on his first coming, but to ensure that we are continually living as people prepared and expectant for his second coming. My prayer today is that through your word, we would see a great model to emulate in these wise men, that these Christmas stories and scripture would not be ones that are sweet and quaint in a shallow, sentimental kind of way for us each year, but that we would wring them out and drink deeply of the important doctrinal truths that they give to us. I ask as always, Lord, that you would be with me now as I do my best to teach the men and women who are here, do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, enlighten, encourage and convict for your glory and our joy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right. Well, as with much of the narrative that surrounds uh, Jesus' birth, this is a peculiar text, isn't it? These Gentile wise men from the East show up uh, who have been following a moving star, apparently, that has led them to Jesus, which they somehow knew uh, is who they were looking for, (laughs) which is pretty crazy. Uh, The way this reads, at least to me, is a bit mysterious at first. So let me tell you what those who have studied this interesting passage have speculated in order to give a, a little bit of contextual insight Uh, at, at the start, if possible. Bible scholars believe, based on historical record, that these wise men from the East should be known more specifically as magi, or priests from Persia, Or Babylon. The reason this is important to know is because there are, or there were Jewish prophecies about Jesus that were spoken just before or during the time span of Israel's Old Testament exile when the Jews were enslaved to these other nations due to their own sin. Uh, And if you remember our time, I know this was a long time ago, way back in February of this year, we we taught through the book of Nehemiah, and so you remember that piece of Redemptive history that we talked about, the exile. Amazingly, these prophecies had remained intact in these uh, other faraway places and most likely led to uh, these previously pagan magi being so excited to come and to worship the one true king that they had read about. The Jewish scriptures. So, um, even through trials that were largely their own fault, God ordained to sovereignly use the Jewish people to minister to the nations who had taken them captive. <laughs> this is incredible. Such a rich addition to the Christmas story. It really, when you think about it this way, it really illuminates the story of the wise men as such a beautiful foreshadowing of what uh, comes very shortly after the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, namely the, the open acceptance and the worship of Jesus from those who have been far from God. That's really what Christmas is about. It's about how we were all far from God because of our sin. And because we never would have made our way back to him, he came down to us instead. And now, people from every background, regardless of their brand of of sinful rebellion prior to hearing the gospel, are now drawing near to Christ to receive salvation by his grace alone. And in like form, these magi who otherwise would have had uh, no knowledge of God's salvific plan, they actually become some of the very first people to worship Jesus as their king. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) What a testament to the fact that God truly can and does save anyone he wants. Maybe there are some here today who the only thing you want for Christmas is for a beloved person in your life to be saved. A non-believing parent, a spouse, a straying child, sibling, or friend. Christmas is a hope-filled reminder to you that Jesus is mighty to save. But as amazing as those contextual things are, that's a different sermon. Rather than focus on the wonder of the wise men, I want us to look today at what is just right in front of us in this passage, the, the character of the, of the wise men, if you will. Because the Advent season should be one of the greatest seasons for worship as the body of Christ, considering the topic of the incarnation of Christ. And I think we see a lot in the account of the wise men that's worth considering for application in our own worship. The Magi are worth mirroring or emulating, as I put in your notes, if you're following along on the app. Why emulate the wise men? Because one day, at the second advent, we will find ourselves in their shoes. Who? And how we are worshiping will be revealed. Who and how we're worshiping will be revealed. Remember, the Christmas season is, is not only a season to look backward at the birth of Christ in amazement, it's a season to stir our hearts with anticipation for the return of Christ, the, the second advent. Okay. And so uh, when we look at the wise men, I think we should hope to see a glimpse of our future selves. They had traveled long and far just to be before the presence of Jesus, the new king. And when they found him, they fell down in worship. One day... I- Our lives of spiritual exile and traversing the the perils of the fallen world will be over. And we too will stand before not an infant Jesus, but a risen and glorious, all power King Jesus. And at that moment, all of who we are. And how we have lived will be before his all-seeing eyes. Who and how we worshiped will be revealed. And as people who call themselves Christians, we should desire for Christ to see that he was who we worshiped. And that the how of our worship was not cold or Fickle or half hearted, but that it was genuine, like the Magi that we just met in Matthew chapter 2. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, made a a similar point in a message that he preached uh, on the wise men 140 years ago on Christmas Eve, 1882. He said, Many are hearers and admirers of God's servants, but they are not wise enough. To make fit and proper use of their preaching, let us gather wisdom from these wise men and let us act as wise men ourselves, helped by our own particular star. His point being, we don't need to mirror the Magi by taking up stargazing as a hobby. Okay. We should mirror them by following what the Lord has given us. To follow in our own day. We don't need a a star to lead us to him anymore. We have better than a star. We have his word, the Bible, we have his people, the church, and we have him and that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide and direct us into all truth. And so for the remaining uh, time we have this morning, I'd like to walk us through at least three things that uh, I see in our passage that form kind of a model of Christmas worship, if you will, uh, from the Magi. So uh, let's do that. Let's go. The, The first thing that I think could be easily overlooked in our text is that The Magi were clearly men who desired to hear from God, not only to have the knowledge of God in and of itself, but in order to obey the God who gave it. They had clearly been studying the Jewish scriptures, though they themselves were not Jewish by birth. And at some point, there was a realization in their reading and, and in their studying that they actually began to believe what they were reading and what they were studying. Maybe some in this room are coming to that same point. You've been coming and and hearing, and, and maybe you've been even reading some on your own, and if you're honest, your investigation of Jesus is beginning to turn into belief and desire to follow Jesus. If so, I would exhort you, this morning to emulate the wise men. Their belief turned into faith-driven action. They determined to follow a star that they perceived, perhaps from a reference about uh, a star in Numbers 24. They perceived the star to be his star. That is, Jesus' star And so they followed it all the way through to find him. This is no small thing. I know that this could, you know, maybe just slip right by us because we can travel across the world in a day with a few thousand dollars, can't we? These men, we don't know exactly how far east they came from, but if it was as far as ancient Persia, it would have taken them weeks, if not months, without so much as a paved road as we know it. Not to mention the dangers from the elements and other people who could have sought to do them great harm, as was common in that time when traveling long distances. They didn't have a a (laughs) Buckies and a Hilton Honors account back then. You know, some, some modern professing Christians won't even follow their alarm clock and get to church every Sunday morning. But these magi with great uncertainty regarding their future well-being determined to follow a star (laughs) because they believed that Jesus was going to be at the end of wherever that star led them. And so the first aspect of their worship that I think we see is a diligent commitment to seek and submit to the Lord. I add that they, they not only sought him, But they also submitted to him because in the end of the passage, God communicates. We see that God communicates to them in a dream to not return to Herod, who was the king of the region. And they determined to obey God instead of obey the king. That's submission, isn't it? So how do these realities press upon us this Christmas I've mentioned in previous weeks of Advent, here's the thing about Christmas in a spiritual sense. You kind of get out of it what you're willing to put into it. We've seen from the past three weeks that Christmas has great potential to be a season of profound spiritual insight for us, but... That depends largely on what we devote our time to during Christmas. If we're not diligent to seek and submit to the Lord during Christmas, regardless of all the lights and decorations and food, Christmas can also be a pronounced season of spiritual emptiness. Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So, are you seeking Jesus this Advent season? Are you submitting your Christmas to Jesus this year? Or is Jesus just kind of the little optional cherry on top of your American Christmas. It's mostly just about you getting some time off work and and pajamas and getting some new stuff. I love pajamas. (laughs) It's good to have some time off work, amen? Our family does give gifts. But if those things are the pinnacle of your Christmas And your time spent meditating on the things of God during Advent are constrained to just a a few moments in a church service. Well, then don't expect Christmas to be a season full of great spiritual comfort and joy. Because those things God gives. But he gives them to those who seek, submit to, and worship Jesus. Okay? We see a diligent commitment to those things in the wise men. And so I would lay before you that we should strive for those same things as well. The second thing that we see is a readiness to praise God, not only with your mouth, but with your material possessions. The the text, as most of us are very familiar, it says that the wise men took from their treasures gifts for the infant Jesus of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, obviously, we know that gold is very valuable to this day, but frankincense and myrrh were both rare tree resins that were used uh, for incense in religious ceremonies or perfumes and even medicinal ointments. And at that time, because of these things, those two gifts would have been just as valuable as gold. We obviously don't know the the quantity, what what that was, what, what they brought, but regardless, what they offered to Jesus would not have been inexpensive. Okay, Safe to say that. Even if the contents of their gifts weighed in at just one pound, we're talking in the tens of thousands of dollars in modern times. Some commentators have speculated that, I think this is a wise speculation here, that the gifts that the Magi gave to Jesus perhaps were God's monetary providence for his family to very shortly thereafter flee to Egypt to avoid the mass infanticide that King Herod was soon to engage in. So this probably wasn't a small amount that they gave to Jesus. The reality was what these wise men gave to Jesus out of what they possessed, they gave as unto a king. They gave as unto a king. And thus the question for us, if we desire to emulate them, is simple. Do you... Give to Jesus as unto your king? Do I? Do we give to Jesus as unto our king? Now I'm not talking to anyone who doesn't claim to be a believer but to those of us who are believers here Jesus is not only our savior he is our Lord and he is our king and one of the ways that we demonstrate that is with Total allegiance to him, even in the culturally touchy area of finances and possessions. If Jesus is our king, then there is nothing that we should hold back from him. And if there is something that we're unwilling to lay down at his feet, then perhaps he's not our king after all. This piece of the passage brings us again to the topic of gift giving. And I mention it again because this concept has become central to this time of year for us due to the materialistic culture that we live in. It's, it's all about the gifts, right? <laughs> the toys, the jewelry, the newest tech gadgets, the new cars with the red bow on top. I've never actually seen someone get one of those, but you know. The commercials say you should at some point. <laughs> I do want to reiterate that our, our family does buy modest gifts for one another during Christmas as a way of showing our, our love and appreciation for each other, but, but bigger than that, as a reflection of, of how God gave to us the greatest and most costly gift of all when he gave us himself. Right? That's what our, as Christians, that's what our gift giving is about, right? We all know that. And so, with that in mind, as Christians, I, I think it should go without saying that giving gifts to one another as a gospel tradition is fine. It's fine to do that, it, it's fun. It's fun to give gifts. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And especially with our kids, it's, it's a joyous time. But if a significant portion of our giving as believers is not back to the Lord himself, then there's likely a heart problem going on there. I mean, I, I'm really not trying to step on any toes during Christmas, But just follow me here. It it does not make sense that we would say, I give and expect to receive gifts during Christmas in celebration of the grace that God gave to me in Jesus. But then if asked, if we've considered giving anything substantial back to God in an expression of our great gratitude and thanksgiving, that we would say, nah, nah, that doesn't add up, does it? As believers, I don't think it's a stretch for me to say that our very best gifts should be reserved for our King Jesus. Our very best gifts should be reserved for our King Jesus. And far be it from us to give gold, frankincense, and myrrh to one another while withholding anything of great value from the one who we claim saved our souls from the eternal wrath of God. He deserves more than we could ever hope to give. Jesus deserves our all. Right. And in case you're not sure of my motives on this one, I'll just read you some of what Jesus himself had to say on this topic. I assure you it's harder than what I've said. In Luke 12, he says he tells a parable. He says to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? so it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself it is not rich toward God. Friends, my appeal to you is let's not be fools with our finances this Christmas. Let's be wise men and women and let's give our very best gifts to Jesus. The Magi certainly did. And this is clearly a key aspect of their worship. But finally, we see that they were not only diligent in their commitment to seek and submit to the Lord and ready to praise God, not only with their mouths, but with their material possessions, but they also had aligned their greatest rejoicing with Jesus There's a lot of rejoicing happening during the holidays, isn't there? I'll just clarify one more time at this point that um, there's nothing wrong with excitement and happiness to be reunited with loved ones or to, to go and to sit down at a long-expected family dinner or uh, over a really great and, and thoughtful gift that someone uh, gave to you generously that you didn't expect or, or something like that. But let me just appeal to you that these things are small joys. These things are small joys. Anyone who has truly had their spiritual eyes opened and been born again knows there's really only one kind of joy so powerful that it brings you to your knees. It's the joy of the gospel, the joy of redemption, the joy of having all of your sins forgiven. The joy of new life, the joy of eternal life. And so the the highest heights of our rejoicing during Christmas should be over these things that come from finding Jesus, or rather from being found by Jesus, whichever way you prefer to say that. Jesus himself says in Luke 10, his disciples come back after going out to evangelize, they're rejoicing over their new abilities to cast out demons in his name, but he corrects them. He says, listen, as my disciples, you're going to do a lot of great things for my kingdom, but don't rejoice in that. He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. This is an important principle about our rejoicing. Jesus says our rejoicing should have a filter. (laughs) It should have a filter. We we don't rejoice all willy-nilly. I've met grown men who have a tough, silent exterior. But when their football team scores a touchdown... They turn into big, hairy, hollering ballerinas. Woo! You know, like, they can't contain their rejoicing. I understand football can be an exciting game. But how does our rejoicing in trivial things like games compare to our rejoicing in Jesus, our eternal Lord, King, and Friend? At the very least, my football guys who I can see looking right at me, if you can shout for joy over your football team, you ought to be able to sing at the top of your lungs about your Savior King. All right. All right. I like football. So don't want any misconceptions out here. Our worship during Christmas, if we're really giving consideration to who Jesus is and what he did for us in his incarnation, it should be helping to straighten out our alignment, the alignment of our rejoicing. When the wise men saw Jesus, they dropped to their knees in worship. We should too. We should too. And since I began this sermon with a quote from the Prince of Preachers, I figure let's close it with one too, because um, I can't do better than him. I'll just be honest. Spurgeon said, Let my sermon now come to a pause, even as the star did. Enter the house and worship, forget the preacher. Let the starlight shine for other eyes. Jesus was born that you might be born again. He lived that you might live. He died that you might die to sin. And he is risen. And today he makes intercession for the transgressors. That they might be reconciled to God through him. So come then. This Christmas. Believe, trust, rejoice, and adore. And if you have not gold or frankincense nor myrrh, bring your faith, your love, your repentance, and falling down before the Son of God, pay him the reverence of your hearts. Let's pray. Father, we continue to thank you and rejoice in the Christmas story. Father, my my prayer is simple today, that like the wise men, for the men and women in this room, that we too would be wise and that our Christmas would not be about anything other than the one who it's really about. That our Christmas would not be about anyone other than Jesus that we would be diligent to seek him and submit to him this Advent season. God, that we wouldn't just praise him with our mouths, but that we would praise him even with our material possessions, that we, that we would be so genuine, that our faith would be so genuine, and that we would align all of our worship with him. <laughs> Father, thank you again for this passage of scripture. I pray that we would learn from it and that we would mirror the Magi, that we would
0: emulate the wise men. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.